Hey, this is Billy Claudio. I'm the pastor of Oasis Community Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope it builds your faith, and I hope you find freedom today through the gospel. Enjoy the message. John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. Well, good morning, everybody. Today is the day the Lord has made. I just rejoiced because I'm glad in it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, welcome. I want to give a special thanks. I've been texting with somebody all morning during service. I know you're not supposed to. Um, that's okay. Uh, I want to say good morning to Marilyn Davis. You guys remember Marilyn Davis? Everybody, turn around, look at the camera real fast, and say, Good morning, Marilyn. Good morning, Marilyn. Um, We've been texting all week, and she's been on my mind a lot. She's uh, homebound still, and uh, I want her to know that we still remember her and love her. So, good morning, Marilyn. All right. So, we've been in a series called Miracles in Motion. We talked a miracle of purpose. We talked a miracle of blessing. We talked a miracle of relationship. And I realized something this morning, this week, as we were getting into this series, our sermon, I realized we never talked about miracles. How many of you could use a miracle? Nobody? Come on now. Anybody can use a miracle? All right. All right. You know, I I realized, I realized something as I was thinking about this. I'm going to say things today that you probably would never say in church because we're too good of Christians. Okay? We want to pretend we're too good of Christians. I'm going to take the lightning bolt for all of us. I'm going to take one for the team this morning. Right? Here's what I think all of us have probably said in our lives. We're going to go deep. You ready for this? God, yo, where's my miracle? Anybody ever said that? Let's be honest this morning. Come on now. How many of us have said, you know, I see God, you've done things for other people, but where's mine? When are you going to show up for me? Well, he, Matthew 13 says this. In 1358, it says this. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. So we're going to get into this idea of why maybe you've never received a miracle this morning. That's a pretty good deal. So again, how many of you could use a miracle this morning? Because I'm going to hand out some miracles today. I'm serious. I'm going to hand out a couple miracles. How many of you need a miracle? Give me a show of hands. I got four miracles for you this morning. You want one? Who wants one? No, you don't get one. All right. You want a miracle, Johnny? I got one right here. This one's simple. I found all my miracles at Walmart. Here's some miracle grow, baby. All right, who else needs a miracle? Come on now. You need one back there? All right, I got some miracle whip. Come on, we're going to pass off some miracle whip. Who needs some miracle whip? Does anybody actually like miracle whip? You like miracle whip and you raise your hand for a miracle. All right, there you go. That's the worst stuff in the world. All right, who else needs a miracle? Come on now. Danny, I got something for you. This is called stain and odor remover. Nature's miracle. I'm telling you, you go to Walmart, walk around, you're going to get all the miracles you need. 
I promise you that. I got the best one for last. Come on now. Travis, you need a miracle? Come on up here. We're going to see if you really need a miracle. Come on, hurry up. We're on a runner time. For, hey, by the way, church, I might go five minutes long today. Is that cool? We're going to go through 47 verses in one morning. Take off your shoe. Come on now. Hey, Jesus said, close your eyes. Let's see. Take off your shoe. Take off your sock. Nah, come on now. Then you need a miracle right there. If you're not going to do that, here you go. I got your miracle from Walmart. Miracle foot repair, baby. Oh, nice. <laughs> Love you, man. Take your miracle. Make sure you rub it nicely on your feet. Let me report back to me if it's a miracle, yeah? It's a miracle of stench up here is what it is with his boot off. We laugh, but it's true, right? We're looking for miracles all the time, aren't we? You don't have to walk to Walmart to find a miracle, but what we've realized is this. Many of us don't believe miracles still happen because you've been waiting for one. You've been hoping for one. You've been praying for one, and it hasn't happened. And honestly, if we think about this, we, we, we understand that maybe our logic, our education, our cynical attitude, our past experiences with God tell us that my miracle is impossible. That God doesn't move that way anymore because he hasn't moved that way in my life. Maybe your miracle is a restored relationship. Anybody? Maybe your miracle is some health healing. Anybody? Maybe you need a financial miracle. Anybody? Don't, don't see me about that one. <laughs> Whatever you've been waiting for, that miracle and that God has not provided yet, you see, if we're honest this morning, everybody in this room has probably said that, including myself. And truthfully, many of us have given up on God that he's even going to come through for us at all. You can have great faith and still be frustrated with God. I told you I'm going to get struck by lightning this morning. I mean, many of us have been saying this, and... and, and Let's just, let's just cut through the chase. Let's be honest. Many of us have said, yeah, I believe God is a miracle God, I, I, that he provides. We've heard the Christian cliche that God provides for all your needs. And many times in my life I said, yeah, he may provide for my needs, but my rent is due. Yeah, God provides for all my needs, but I still have ailments. Yeah, God provides for all my needs, but my relationships are still broken apart. So where are you, God? Why, where is my miracle? I realized this this morning. I told you I'm going to take a couple blows for you, and that's okay. But I realized this this morning. The most godly prayer you can pray is the most honest prayer you can pray. And the most honest prayer you can pray will be the most godly prayer you'll ever pray. And many of us are afraid to tell God what we really think about what's going on in our lives and what we really think about him. Show of hands. Just, let's just cut through the chase. Show of hands. Anybody ever been disappointed by God? Have you ever told him you're disappointed in him? Right, because we're going to read a story in a second that we're going to find out two ladies who are extraordinarily disappointed with God. So let's start there today. I'm going to pray. We're going to jump into the scripture. We're going to learn a ton about a scripture this morning. But I'm going to stop here and I'm going to pray for a minute. And in the sec next few seconds, I want all of us to get honest with God. Like, if we come to church, we sing great songs, and I love the Revelation song, the holy, holy, holy. I love that song. But truth of the matter, sometimes in my life, I don't feel God so holy, holy, holy. I feel he's been negligent to my needs, to my desires, to my wants. And so we're going to get honest this morning. And so we're going to do this. I'm going to pray for a second. We're, gonna, we're just going to sit quiet for a second. And I want everybody to bow your head. Don't look around. Just bow your heads for a second. And I want you to honestly tell God 
the situation that you're waiting for something to happen in, the situation that you're waiting for a miracle in, that God isn't showing up in time or he didn't show up or he's showing up too late. And if you're angry, I want you to tell him this morning you're angry with him. If you doubt him, I want you to tell him. If you're sick of waiting, I want you to tell him. If you're disappointed with him, I want you to tell him. If you're hurt, I want you to tell him. Because the most godly prayer you can ever pray is the most honest prayer you'll ever pray. So let's do that for a minute. Because I know, listen, I've been around church long enough to know that as some of you sitting in here, that is what you're feeling today. So I'm going to ask you just to bow your heads. And I just want you to say the words, God, whatever it is, this is how I actually feel this morning. And then we'll pray in a second. So I'm going to give you a few seconds. Father... God, I pray that you'd enter this room in a miraculous way right now. I pray that those who've actually poured out their hearts to you right now, that you would respond, and that this message would be a part of that response to what they're feeling, to their honesty. And so, Lord, I ask that you would show up right now. In Jesus' name. All right. So now that we've been honest with God, we're going to jump into a scripture. We're going to look in John chapter 11. We're actually going to go through almost the whole chapter of John chapter 11. And so here we go. Chapter, verse 1. Here we go. Now a man named Lazarus, I'm going to move real, real fast. So pay attention. If you have to, download it later because I'm going to move extraordinarily fast. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. Sick. All right, we're going to stop there for a minute. <laughs> Told you I'm going to move fast. The first thing we discover is that someone has a need, right? Show of hands one more time. Anybody have a need this morning? Okay, you qualify for what happens to Lazarus right now. We see that Lazarus was sick. He was needing a miracle. Here's a, here's a miracle. Here's what it means. A miracle is an extra, extraordinary manifestation of divine intervention into human affairs. It's supernatural. You see, the first reason some of you are not receiving your miracle is because you live in the natural world, the common sense world, the logical world. You think God needs to do things the way you think they should be done. But let me tell you this something this morning. We don't serve a natural God because God made the natural because he's supernatural. Right? But some of us have limiting God to what he can do because it's all we've seen him do or all we think he can do. Because we live with this natural mindset. Our intellect tells us that. And let me just tell you this. The longer you think you can control the outcome of what God can do, the more frustrated you're going to be in life. I want you to understand today that God is not bound to logic. I love that. I love that I get to worship a supernatural God. As a matter of fact, it says in Isaiah 55, we're going to chuck this verse up here. Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. How many of us have tried to get God to do our, our way? Right? Verse 9. As high as the heavens of the earth, so my ways are higher than yours. That means God transcends my intellect. He transcends my logic. He transcends the way I think things need to be done. So my thoughts are higher than yours. God can overrule natural because he created natural. How many parents out here have overruled your kid's decision? 
I'm trying. All right, John 11. Here we go. Now we're going to get moving. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. The Mary, this Mary was the brother of Lazarus, now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the, on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Lazarus is sick. You got Mary. You got Martha. They cared for their brother. They sent word to Jesus. And at this time, Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's about two miles away. Only two miles. Keep that in mind. Two miles. Sometimes your miracle might be two miles away. And you're going to get to this in a second. She was the one who poured perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, if we understand the Bible, we understand a couple things. We understand that Mary, or uh, they didn't, or Martha, yeah, did not pour the, the, the perfume on Jesus' feet until chapter 12. You see, John is writing this after this has occurred. He has the gift of what we call hindsight. He can see what happened and then write about what happened later. So he puts this little parenthesis in there saying, this is the same person who did this back then. You see, but Mary, she is stuck in chapter 11. Anybody been in chapter 11? Bankrupt? Right? You're bankrupt with hope. You're bankrupt with frustration. You're bankrupt because your miracle hasn't come through. Anybody been in chapter 11? But see, Mary doesn't have the blessing of understanding what chapter 12 is yet. John looks at it from hindsight, and he's looking at John chapter 12, and he's saying, Mary, if you would have just waited. This is why he puts this in this, in this parenthesis, saying, she did show her faith. See, some of us are stuck in chapter 11, and we haven't been able to praise God in chapter 11 because we haven't seen chapter 12 yet. And some of us are saying, I'm not going to trust you, God, until I see chapter 12. The one you love is sick. The sisters appeal to Jesus in chapter one, uh, verse 1 through 3. They know Jesus' heart. You see, Jesus was friends with these guys. He'd often dine at their house. He hung out with Mary and Martha. He hung out with Lazarus. These guys were friends. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has none this than they lay one's life down for his friend. You see, that's what it means when he says, Jesus loved Lazarus. He was about to lay his life down. And that's what he did for you and me. All right, verse 4 through 6, here we go. We're going to get real fast now. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory. Hang on a second. Let's stop there again. Real fast. The sickness will not end in death. It's for God's glory. You see, many of us think the miracles are for our glory. Many of us think that God's going to work on our behalf so that we receive the glory. No, no, no. Whenever God does something in our lives, it's not for you. It's for, to reveal his glory, not your glory, but his glory through you. But many of us get stuck with the idea that God's done something for me, so I'm going to talk about how good I've done. It's to reveal God's glory. He says this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, I love, I love this verse right here, verse 6. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. That's logical, isn't it? That doesn't make sense. They heard, go back to verse 5. Can we go back to verse 5? It says this. I don't think, I think, I think we're, we're past five. Dang it, she's moving, I'm moving faster. Here we go, here we go. Now, Jesus loved, how many of you know Jesus loves you? For the Bible tells me so. Right? If we know Jesus loves us, don't we think if he loves us, he would hurry up and get where he needs to get? How many of you have ever gotten a call about emergency, about somebody being sick in the hospital? What do you do? Do you wait two days? 
No, no, no. It's, it's interesting because verse 6 is tied to verse 5. They're not separate clauses. It, there's a so. There's a comma. So that means so. Because he loved them, he waited. This defies logic. Come on, man. Doesn't he know there's a crisis? Doesn't he know that there's suffering? Doesn't he know that there's pain? Doesn't he know that there's a timely need? But he stays. He doesn't rush. Two days pass. Now, he's only two miles. How many of you can run a 10-minute mile? How many of you think the words fun and run are opposites? That's what I'm saying, right? Two miles, 20 minutes away, Jesus. Yet he doesn't go. Don't you think that the one who, who loves you could leave for 20 minutes and come back to what he was doing to go fix somebody else? Or matter of fact, because Jesus is supernatural, he could have just spoke the words and not even had to show up. But he doesn't. We'll find out why. Defies logic, common sense. But I want to remind you again, God is not bound to your thought. He's a supernatural God. You see, what I've realized in my life is God will never be moved or manipulated just because I'm uncomfortable. Jesus clearly understood what was going on. A man is dead. His sisters are mad. They're frustrated. They're scared. The Lord does not necessarily always move to your demand. He wants you to move to his demand. He wasn't in a hurry. He was taking his time. And we're for honest this morning, this is something that kills and frustrates me about God. Maybe I even think sometimes, and maybe if you're like me, you think this sometimes too. Maybe God not showing up in time actually makes the situation worse. Like he's negligent. Two days is negligent to me, isn't it? Verse 7, here we go. And then the disciples, I love these disciples in this picture. These, these guys are like the three, five, twelve stooges right now. <laughs> Let's go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And yet you want to go back? Watch this. Jesus answered, are there not twelve hours of daylight? Why? I don't know. Not if you're on daylight savings time, Jesus. Come on now. Anyone who walks in daytime will not stumble, for they will see the world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And then he said this, and he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. Now what did Mary and Martha just say? Our friend Lazarus is sick, right? Watch the progression here. He's fallen asleep. But I'm going to go wake him. And his disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, well, he'll just get better. True. Jesus, these knuckleheads, Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Natural. Hey, he's sleeping, he's good, he'll get healthy, no problem. So Jesus says it plainly. How many times do you need Jesus to say something plainly to you? Jesus says it plainly to them, Lazarus is dead, boys. Like knuckleheads, I, I was trying to be like crafty with words, but since you guys are a little knuckleheads, I, I just got to tell you straight up, Jesus is dead. Let me tell you this. Maybe, maybe we've been those same kind of people, right? Maybe we've been asking God for something, and he's been kind of aloof about what he's going to say, and maybe you just need him to say it directly to you. And for your sake, I don't understand this passage, and for your sake, I'm glad I'm not there. So that you will believe, but let's go, all right, let's go, and then I love Thomas, because of a couple of verses earlier, what they say, if you go, they're going to stone you. And so here's doubting Thomas later on after his death, but here's what Thomas says, all right, man, if you're going to go, I'm going with you, let's go die. 
I love that kind of guy. If you're going to go, I'm going to go. Let's just go die together. Seems like a good idea to me. Verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Four days is a very interesting term. Three days in old Jewish folklore would have said that a body could potentially become revived. But on the fourth day, they were not to touch the body. Fourth day, it was beyond the ability of the folklore. It wasn't anywhere in Scripture. It was just a a kind of cultural folklore that maybe they just had fallen asleep or in a coma for three days or something like that. But on the fourth day, they would consider him dead. So there's a reason why he stayed. On his arrival, they found Lazarus already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. I love that because that's the focus of small group, right? Bringing comfort. That's why we believe that here. That's why, Cameron, thank you for sharing that. That's why, because small groups come and comfort those who need comforting. If you're not in a small group and you're trying to figure out why God isn't doing something to you, maybe you need to get around people who can comfort you and help you understand why God is doing what he's doing. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. Remember this. You're going to see two different positions of women. I, I, you know, this is, she gets a little crazy here. But Mary stayed home. Notice that Martha went out to meet him. She saw him coming down the road. She runs out to meet him. She meets him at the gate. Now, every other time we see Jesus hanging out with Martha and Mary, he's in their home. They're cooking food. He's they're sitting at his feet listening. But this time, Martha hightails it to the gate. She doesn't wait for Jesus to come to the door. She runs to the gate, and I, as, as I'm reading through this, I'm thinking to myself, I can just see this picture of this woman, because Jesus, remember, how many of you guys, let's be honest, men, how many of you get frustrated when your wife is late? Come on, guys, you don't like... Thank you. My wife and I drive separate to the same place 90% of the time. Right? So Martha is mad because Jesus is late. It's a role reversal this time. So she comes running out to the gate. I can just picture her mind huffing and puffing. And what does she say? Next verse. If you would have been here. Not, Jesus, thank you for coming. I'm so glad that you came. I know you're late, but I know you can do something amazing. What does she say? So you've got to read the text. You've got to understand the tone of the text. If you would have been here. How many of you have said that? Right? In the crisis that you're facing, how many of you would have said those same words? You see, you pictured, she comes stomping out of the house, flinging the door, slamming the screen door. Now we've got to take it to Home Depot, buy another one. She's throwing it out. She runs to the gate. She doesn't let him enter the gate. She looks at him dead in the face. She says, if you would have been here. You see, we read with such kind words like, oh, if you would have been here. No, no, no. This is an angry woman. Hell hath no fury than an angry woman. Let me tell you that much. This is an angry woman. If you would have been here, he wouldn't have died. Four days ago, my brother was sick. If you would have showed up four days ago, two days ago, 20 minutes out of your way, Jesus, my brother would still be alive. But because you weren't here, he's dead. It's too late. Maybe that's where you are today. God's late. He missed it. If you had only been there 
to do what he says he's going to do because God takes care of and provides for us. But for you, it might have been too late. How many of us have thought in our natural logic that, God, you're too late. There's no way to fix this situation anymore. Listen, sometimes we, we have to think, and we should think that the results of Jesus showing up, that the miracle is the way we see it, is not actually the way the miracle God intended it to be. Let me repeat that because I want you to understand this. Many of us think that the miracle that we're asking God to do and when he doesn't do it, that he doesn't do a miracle, but it's maybe not the miracle that he had planned on doing. Many of us let our feelings dictate our faith, but our faith should dictate our feelings. I'm going to share a personal story, and I asked my wife for permission. So um, we were in Israel three years ago this week. And uh, a couple days earlier, um, my father-in-law uh, was diagnosed with stage 4 terminal cancer. Okay? We were in Israel, and it, it was a tough time. Ooh, see if I can get through this one. And we were uh, in the Jordan River. And we, my wife and I and uh, the whole tour group was with, with us. We are in the Jordan River, and my wife, in, the, in the, the desperation to see her father healed, a miracle, a God-fearing, God-loving man. When 900 people show up to your funeral and give testimony to the godly man, that's the godly man. So we're in the Jordan River. And my wife, in her quietness of her heart, which I love her faith, she had been praying and thought that as she baptized her father in the Jordan River, that miraculous healing was going to take place. Like, that was her hope. That was her faith. I don't blame her. That's a great hope. That's a great faith. Three months later, he passed away. The miracle in which she hoped for didn't occur the way she'd hoped it would have occurred. But that doesn't mean that God doesn't do miracles out of it. Right? See, see, see what, I'm, what I'm understanding is some of us have been waiting for a miracle, but the waiting for the miracle, even though it might be true-hearted, is not what God intends to do through the miracle. What happened as a result of, of my father-in-law passing was a miracle. My brother-in-law had an experience with Jesus Christ for the first time because of that. That's a miracle. It might not be the miracle the way I see it in my natural logic, in my natural hope, even with maybe a glimpse of supernatural hope, but God uses hardships to bring forth glory to him. Listen, church, he may not change your pain, but he can change your perspective. Martha, verse 22. But I know, you know, my brother is dead. Where were you? But I know, here's the but. I love when there's a but in the Bible. But I know that even now, God will give you, Jesus, not me. Notice the word. But I know now that God will give who? You. How many of us think that God's just going to give me what I want? But I know that God will give you what you want. Even now, God, I know you'll do whatever. Don't you know, even now, say that word with me, even now. You see, some of us, one more time, come on now, even now. You see, some of us have forgotten that God still wants to do something even now. That the pain you may be unbearable right now, that your time frame may have passed, your dreams may be over, but even now, God can still do something. Even now, come on, say it one more time, even now. All right, verse 30, 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. She's like, come on now. So she goes back to her logic, her taught, educated logic. Verse 24, or, uh, yeah, 24. 
I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. She's going back to what she knows, her intellect. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing will never die. Now, I love this word right here. What does he say? Do you believe this? That's a question I got for you this morning. Do you believe that even now God can still do something with what you thought was passed by and the miracle that you were desiring? Do you still believe this? Or in your mind, in your logic, in your, in your education, in your abilities, have you limited God, what God can do because he hasn't done it yet? Or he hasn't done it the way that you desired it to be done? Even now. You see, he says this in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Yes, you see, Martha still believed that Jesus was Lord in all circumstances. Honestly, some of us are selfish Christians. God only is good when he does what we want him to do the way we desire it to be done. But she is standing before God with her brother in the grave, and she's like, yes, but I know, God, you can... You're still Lord. Listen, some of us have struggled with continuing to, to praise God and to worship God through the pain of our lives because we're wondering if he even cares anymore. We're wondering if he's still Lord. And to get to the place like Martha where she says, God, even though the circumstances look grim, you are still God. Verse 28. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher here is here, she said, and he's asking for you. Now, She's a liar. Check it out. Have we read anywhere that Jesus asks Mary, where's Mary? In this passage. She's straight up telling a, a, a fib. Think about this for a second. I haven't read that. I don't read that anywhere. Martha just straight up lied, didn't she? And she never, Jesus never asks where Mary is. But Martha knew Jesus, that, that, that Mary needed to enter the presence of Jesus in order to bring comfort to her. I'm not condoning lying, but I am condoning the fact that Martha cared so much for Mary that Mary was so struck in her grief that she couldn't even move in any manner. But Martha comes alongside her and says, hey, hey, he just wants to talk to you. And that's the truth this morning, that no matter where you're at in your grief, that God still wants to talk to you. He wants to give you comfort. Some of you are resisting some of you are resisting going to God in your trial, the very person who can bring you comfort because you don't believe that he can do anything about your trial. You're stuck in natural mind. But I want to remind you, we don't serve a natural God. We serve a supernatural God. Can I get an amen on that one? When Mary heard this, she got up and went out to him. Now Jesus had not entered the village. He was still in the place where he met Martha. He didn't go into Mary's house. He was still at the gate because this is the reason. Jesus will only go as far as you invite him to. He'll only go into your life as far as you invite him to. And if you have a trial in front of you that you're like, no, no, Jesus, I'm not going to invite you in that trial. Guess where you're never going to see that miracle? He's never going to show up in that place because he only goes where he's invited. That's it. So he's at the gate. He's at the place. But he was still at the place where Martha met him. Now check this out. 
when the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her, so her small group's around her comforting her, that's what it means to be in a a small group, comfort. When the Jews had been there with Mary who were comforting her, notice quickly how she got up and went out, they followed her. Supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn, Again, we see community going forth. When Mary, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. She has a habit of being at his feet. That's a pretty good place to be. Lord, if, here it is again. Lord, if you would have been here, I think this is on repeat. If you would have been here, my brother would not have died. He's probably said, yeah, I already heard this one. Let me reassure you, you're not the only one who thinks God missed it. I love how she brought her disappointment to him. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and trouble. Jesus was not just moved by Mary and Martha, but he was moved by the fact that her small group loved her so much that they were weeping also. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Let me tell you this. I told you guys, give me five, ten more minutes. Jesus wept. I often thought about that passage. I often thought, why? Why? Well, did he weep at Lazarus' death? No, it doesn't say that because he found out two days ago that he died. It didn't say he wept then. Jesus wept when he saw the love between brother, sister, sister, and group. He was overcome with compassion for the fact that these people were in such a trial that all they could do was just sit and weep. Let me tell you this, friends. God does the same thing for you. He weeps when you are in your trial because he knows it wasn't never meant to be this way. So Jesus wept. Then the Jews, this is crazy, then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could he not have opened the eyes of the blind man, but how can he not keep this man from dying? You see, great friends, right? It's important to have the right community around you. I'm just going to say it that way. One that bolsters your faith instead of hinders your faith. Some of you have friends that when your faith is on trial, they dig in and bring you farther in the trial. Some of you, and I know this too, because this is the type of people I like sometimes, that when I'm struggling, what I don't want is someone to challenge my faith and say, no, no, God's going to come through. What I want them to say is, yeah, man, God's going to disappoint you again. Because that feels good and it justifies my feelings and my behaviors. And that's what's happening here. We see it right here. I'm going to challenge you this. What kind of friends do you have around you when you're going through a trial? Is it people who are going to take you farther in a trial and agree with your disappointment of God? Or is it somebody who's going to challenge your faith and say, no, 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 that's not who God is. Just wait. Chapter 12 hasn't been written yet for you. Verse 38, as we move in the closing here. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. Now, I don't know if these women were Russian power lifters. I don't think so. <laughs> Take away the stone. 
But Lord, here we go. How many butts have we seen so far? Three big butts. But Lord, said Martha. Here's what he says. Take away the stone. I didn't ask you for your excuse of why you're not going to believe and do what I'm going to tell you to do. I didn't ask you to give me a a list of 12 logical reasons why you shouldn't move away the stone. All I've asked you to do is move away the stone. You see, some of us are blocking God's miracle in your life because of your unbelief of what God can do, and you're keeping the stone in place where God says, move the stone and believe in me. You see, what we do in American culture is we say this, believing is seeing. In, In God's economy, in God's economy, he says, it doesn't matter what you see, you just need to believe. A lot of us are blocking God's miracles because we don't have the faith to do what he says in the natural and we're expecting him to do something in the supernatural. Our logic, our education, our background, our success, our income, we're blocking what God wants to do in the spiritual realm because we're stuck in the natural realm. Take away the stone, he said, but Lord, the, the, the sister said, the man is dead. By this time there was a bad odor. I would imagine so. If you live with teenage boys, you probably understand this bad odor. For he'd been there for four days. Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see not Lazarus? If you believe, you will not see Lazarus. What does he say? If you believe, you will see the glory of God. You see, the glory of God is better than bringing a brother back from the dead. The glory of God is better than, than seeing a father-in-law unnecessarily healed from cancer, even though that's difficult. The glory of God is better than anything I could ask for. If I could see the glory of God, matter of fact, when Moses went on Mount Sinai and the fire was bushes coming, Moses said this, I can't even look upon the glory of God. And here Jesus is saying, if you believe, you're going to see that glory, that which people were afraid to even look at because they would have died instantly. And he's saying, if you believe you will see the glory of God. Whew, sweating up here. So, finally, they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and he said this. This is one of the most interesting passages in all of Scripture to me. Jesus said, Father, I thank you for you heard me. I know that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing there, that they may believe that you sent me. Let me ask you a question. In this passage, what does he say? I, I want to read this first again because I want you to hear this because if you understand this theological concept, your life will change. I guarantee it. He said this. Then he looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. Did you see anywhere in this text that Jesus talked to God? No. You don't see anywhere in this text. You see, what, what I'm understanding is this. I don't see anywhere where he took time aside to say, Lord, would you please do this for me? So that people will believe. You see, he says this. He's using a tense. Now, tense matters. Verb tense matters. He uses a tense here, and he says this. I thank you that you are hearing me. That you heard me. Not hearing. Hearing would be present. Heard means the conversation already took place of what was going to happen to Lazarus. You see, we have a father who believes in tenses, and what that means is this. He says, thank you that you've already heard me, which means whatever has happened has already been discussed with God. We've already talked about this. In other words, I want you to understand this clean and clear. In other words, when they say this, the word Jesus said, you need a miracle, well, God and I have already determined that it's going to happen for you. 
We've already believed. We've already had this conversation. This is called um, a, a way of stepping in that, that Jesus said, when God and I talked about this, we already knew the outcome. We were waiting for you to have faith in the natural so we could begin to do the supernatural because we already know the outcome of what's going to happen. That's an important conversation. We already talked about this. My dad and I, we agreed. We are going to bring him forth, but we are not going to bring him forth until your faith moves from the natural to the supernatural. That means this. Here's why this is an important passage to me. It means this. You don't have to beg God for a miracle. You just need to believe God for a miracle. See, with God, seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Faith activates your experience, and many of you are waiting to see, 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 and God's saying, I can't do what you want me to see, what you want to see until you start to believe that I can even do it. That's the problem. That's why maybe we get all clogged up with this idea of miracles. And here we go, verse 43. I want to finish it off right here. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. That was a loud voice. I love how Jesus calls him specifically by name. He could have said, yo, dead guy, come on out. He says, Lazarus. Why does he use a specific term? Because God knows the specific problem. And so he calls forth the miracle to the specific problem. See, some of us approach God with vague issues. Some of us are not just direct and honest with God to say, God, I am struggling with this specific area. I need you to show up with this. He calls him out. He says, Lazarus, Lazarus, my friend, come on out. Verse 44, the dead man came out. His hands and his feet were strapped together with strips of cloth around his face. He's all covered up, mummified. So you got Lazarus. Check this out. Let's play the scene, right? We already saw Martha run to the gate. Now you got Lazarus. He, oh, yeah, I just heard my name. Here we go. But he's bound up still. Many of you are still bound up. And so here's what Lazarus is doing. You ready? He's, he's making his way out of the grave. Baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. He's bound up. It doesn't say he's, his strips were off him. No, no. If you know what they do, they tie you up tightly. So he's doing this, and he can't see where he's going. He's probably doing this. And watch what happens. The dead man came out. Hands and his feet were wrapped. Jesus said to them, take, who do you say it to? Them. Hither, small group. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Take off his grave clothes and let him go. Why does he say them? Because God wants you to include you in his miracles. He doesn't want to do it for you. He wants to include you in it. That's why small groups are important. I keep saying that. As I close, let me say this. Each of us has a Lazarus buried somewhere. Every one of us had a hope that God never did for us, a desire that God never showed up in the way we thought he was going to show up. We have a dream that God never brought to fruition, but we've been asking him, we've been praying him, and there's a, there's a Lazarus in every one of our lives. And I want you to hear the words of Jesus deep into your soul today. Come out, Lazarus. 
Believe that I can still resurrect that relationship. Believe I can still fix that financial problem. Believe I can still heal the part of your body or, or your friendships or your relationships. Believe and watch what happens because I've already called it to being. But I need you to believe that the supernatural is possible even though your eyes only see naturally. The supernatural is waiting for your faith to move the stone of unbelief. That's what I'm saying. Your Lazarus is waiting to come forth so that God's glory can be revealed. Move the stone. Listen, you know the thing you talked about when we prayed about earlier this morning? For the few moments, God, I'm blank with this. I'm disappointed. I'm angry, frustrated. I'm sick of waiting, blah, 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 blah. Believe it today. Take a step and say, I'm going to move that stone of what my feelings are right now. I'm going to move the stone aside because I want Lazarus to come forth. And watch what happens when we begin to move the stone of unbelief to belief. What Lazarus is will come forth from your life. Will you pray with me? Father, I just thank you. I thank you that you don't leave the dead man dead, but you bring new life to, to old things. And Lord, I know that there's people in here who have old things that are not resolved with you because they've been, they, they feel like you don't do it anymore. Well, I say today, Father, that that day of unbelief is over. And Lord, that you are going to do a new thing and you're going to bring forth my Lazarus. Lord, there's dreams, hopes, desires in me that I've already said and already in my natural mind said, God will never do that again. Or God can't do that. And so, Lord, right now, I confess my unbelief. I confess that I love my stone where it's at because it gives me power against you. And yet, Lord, all you're waiting for is me to say, you know what? I'm done holding my stone. I'll move it to the side and let you come forth. So, Father, for those people in this church today and online, whatever it is that's been buried with disbelief, unbelief. Would you help us move that stone away? And would we remember all week long the words that Jesus said for his glory? Lazarus, my Lazarus, come forth. Father, I thank you for that. Lord, I know that there's some people in this room that might not know you, that have had stones in front of you their whole lives, that have never given their life to you, and, and yet still hold anger against you because you have never shown up in their lives, but they never even believed in you in the first place. And if that's you this morning, I would just ask that you would say a simple prayer, and it's a prayer of trust. It's a prayer that says, God, I'm going to believe in you today because I need to. I'm going to believe that you still do the supernatural and I'm going to give you my life. Because my stone is getting me nowhere. And if that's you, just be honest with him and say, God, I need you. And I give you my life. Come forth out of my life now. Lord, I thank you for that. Father, I pray blessings upon our church today. I pray blessings upon our, our pastors who are ministering, two different pastors ministering different places in the state and in the country, or in different countries, and God, would you bless them, Lord. Father, this week, may we be reminded that you, we serve a supernatural God. And all of God's children said,
Amen, amen. Hey, be blessed this week. If you need prayer of any kind, there's going to be some people up here who, who are loving to help you move the stone. That's the community. Uh, come up and see them. And uh, remember, Lazarus, come forth. If you're a first-time guest, we would love to have an opportunity to connect with you and give you a free gift for joining us today. Or if this isn't your first time, but you're ready to get connected, go ahead and send me an email and let me know how we can best serve you. We have life groups, both live and virtual, classes and resources to help you live your life in complete freedom. And you know what? If you're ready for the full on-campus experience, you can reach out to us via email as well, and we will get you connected with an opportunity to check us out and meet our church. Thank you so much for watching and have a blessed week. Thanks so much for listening to our podcast. I really hope God moved in your heart today. And if you're in the Scottsdale area, I'd love for you to come and visit our campus on one of our Sunday services. You can find details to our service times on our website. I also want to thank our faithful givers. By giving towards our podcast, you're able to help us reach people from all over the world for Christ and fulfill the mission of Oasis, which is to love God, love life, and love people. God bless.